In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, there's a passage that a lot of people find perhaps confusing, but definitely intriguing, and maybe want to know more about what it means and why it was significant, why it happened. In Matthew 27, starting in verse 50, we read that when Jesus died, here's what it says, that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And here's the part that that perhaps confuses or intrigues people. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. So this question was asked to me recently, but I realize that a lot of people wonder about this. And the question is, why did those people come out of their graves in Matthew 27? And what happened to those people? Like, did they die again? Or were they raised to eternal life and ascended with Jesus? How, what is this passage and how should we understand it? Well, I think in order to understand this passage, we need to understand something that John's gospel makes particularly clear. Out of all the gospels, John's gospel says something really interesting and explicit about Jesus' miracles and the nature of them. Let me read to you from John chapter 2, verse 23. It says this, that when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. Now, here's what's interesting about John's gospel. As opposed to the other gospels, which talk about Jesus' miracles, John refers to Jesus' miracles as signs. And he does it over and over throughout his gospel. For example, in John 2 verse 11, after Jesus does his first miracle, John doesn't call it a miracle. John calls it a sign. And he says that when Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding feast at Cana, this was the very first sign by which Jesus revealed his glory. Then we read in John 4, verse 54, after Jesus healed uh, a child, that this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Furthermore, at the end of John's gospel, in John chapter 20, we read that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in these books, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, the key there is that the signs in John, John that's how John refers to Jesus' miracles. He doesn't use the word miracle. He uses the word sign. Now, what is a sign? Well, a sign is something which points to something beyond itself. It reminds me of a time when my wife and I, we took our honeymoon down in Mexico. And so we were we rented a car. We flew into Mexico City. Uh, we got married in San Diego, went across the border, um, and we were trying to do things economically. We were missionaries at the time. We didn't have a lot of money. So we got someone to drive us into Tijuana. We got a domestic flight in Mexico down to Mexico City. We rented a car and drove out to the coast at Veracruz. And so we were in Veracruz State and driving up and down the coast. And I remember one time we were in this small village and we saw this sign. And there's several of these signs at different parts of Mexico. And it's like this blue traffic sign. And it has a picture of a pyramid on it. And there was like this sign that said pyramid that way. So we followed the sign and we ended up going to this pyramid. Now, here's what's funny that later on, 
when I looked at my photos that I had taken during our honeymoon. I had taken a picture of the sign of the pyramid because I thought it was such a strange and interesting sign, but I didn't actually take any photos of the pyramid itself, which is kind of bizarre if you think about it because, I mean, the sign isn't really that special. The sign was made in probably like 1996 by some guy at a sign company. But the pyramid, you know, that was what was of real value. But anyway, I took a picture of the sign, which is now something I regret. I wish I had a picture of the, the pyramid to take, uh, to, well, to remind me of what I saw, not really a picture of the sign. And that's the thing about signs. Signs do not exist to point to something in themselves. Signs exist to point to something beyond themselves. So in other words, think about this. If Jesus' miracles were signs, what does that tell us about his miracles? It means that his miracles were done to point beyond themselves. Have you ever asked that question? Why did Jesus do miracles? Uh, and John answers that question for us. It wasn't just because miracles are cool and Jesus is powerful. No, no, no. Jesus' miracles were something much better than that. They were signs pointing to something. Now, what were they signs of? They were signs of the kingdom which he, as the coming king, the Messiah, had come to establish. And in his coming, Jesus gave previews or signs of the kingdom which was to come. Now, you can follow Jesus' miracles through uh, the Gospels, and you can see how they were all signs which pointed not to themselves, right? So the point of the miracle wasn't just uh, to be impressed with the miracle, although, of course, they showed Jesus' power. But as John says, they existed to reveal Jesus' glory. They existed to show us signs of the kingdom which is to come, the kingdom which is coming that Jesus came to bring. They were previews, glimpses, foreshadowings, if you will, of the kingdom which Jesus came to establish, which is here now in part, but will be here in the future in fullness. So it's already, but not yet. It's already, but not yet kingdom. Now think about this. The miracle at Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine. Well, why was that a sign of the kingdom? Well, here's why. Because in the Old Testament, particularly, for example, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, heaven and the culmination, the eschaton, that fulfillment which is to come, the reason why Jesus came, it is described as a wedding feast, even in many of Jesus' miracles, of course, like in Matthew 22, you know, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a wedding feast. But look at what it says in Isaiah 25, 6 and 7. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers the nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. So think about this, that first miracle at Cana. Why would that be the first sign that Jesus gave? Well, here's why. He's giving a preview, a sign of why he came, a, a preview of his kingdom. He came to remove our disgrace and to bring us into a relationship with God, which would result in fellowship, celebration, and joy, the ultimate wedding feast, which will never end. The miracle at Cana was a sign, a preview, a glimpse, a foreshadowing 
of that kingdom which is to come. Okay, well, think about Jesus' other miracles. For example, he heals a child in John chapter 4. How is that a sign of the kingdom that is to come? Well, very obviously, because in the kingdom which is to come, there will be no more sickness, no more death. Jesus opens the eyes of blind people, not just as a miracle because it's cool. No, he does it because in his kingdom, the eyes of the blind will be opened. When he raises the dead, for example, he raises Lazarus, that is a sign of the kingdom which is to come in which death, w- death has been broken and the dead will be raised to eternal life. Now, remember though, these are signs, which means they're not the culmination yet. They are pointing to the culmination. So for example, Lazarus gets raised from the grave, but then Lazarus dies again because it's a sign or a preview, not the actual fulfillment or culmination of what that sign points to. Now, how does that relate to Matthew chapter 27? Well, very simply, when Jesus died and resurrected, people came out of their graves. And this was, if you will, Jesus's final sign here on earth that didn't pertain to himself. Of course, the greatest sign being his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, but a sign which didn't pertain to himself, right? So because Jesus died and rose again, other people, we too, will rise from the grave who have trusted in him. And so this was done as a sign which pointed to that which will happen. Now, to answer your question, what happened to those people? Did they die again? My answer would be that I do believe that they died again and that they didn't ascend into heaven with Jesus, but that they did die again, very much in the same way as Lazarus or the other people whom Jesus raised from the grave, raised from the dead that they were reanimated, if you will, right? This is also a very interesting parallel here with what happens in the book of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel raises a field of dry bones and they take on flesh again. Well, here Jesus is doing the same thing. He is the greater than Ezekiel, who is actually bringing those who have fallen asleep back to life. And one day we will be raised from the grave to eternal life with Jesus, who is the first fruits. This event in Matthew 27 that took place at the death and then the resurrection of Jesus, this is a sign pointing to that. I believe that these people who uh, were raised then later on died again um, because this was a sign, not the actual culmination. Jesus is the first fruits, and we will follow at the resurrection, which is to come. Hey, thanks for listening, and uh, I'd love it if you would go over to the podcast app that you use. Give this uh, podcast uh, a good rating, a five-star rating, if you would. If uh, you've been blessed by this content, share it with somebody else. And if you could help, this would really boost us in the ratings that you could give a written review uh, there, especially on the Apple podcast app that really helps boost this in the algorithms and helps other people discover it. And if you are interested, you can go to Theology for the People blog, which is at nickkady.org. That's N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y.org and follow us there. Or you can also read um, several articles that I've written there. I write, try to write separate content on the blog as we do here on the podcast, but thanks for listening and God bless you.